Welcome to Career Catalyst, a podcast that focuses on the gap between career planning and job searching advice. There are plenty of great sources for understanding how to handle job interviews, create resumes, or how to network. But this podcast focuses on an important topic of what people actually do and what paths they have taken in their career journeys. On the next episode of season three, I talk with Mary Ellen Kelleher, who is the VP of product management at Smokeball, which is a company that helps law firms track their hours and create more efficient billing processes. Mary Ellen has a great story that I can relate to as I know exactly what she was experiencing coming up out of school, really not understanding where to look or what type of job to look for or why. So I, again, I've got Zach here to help me out with the, the introductions here. Zach, thanks again for joining me. Before we get into the, the actual conversation, any other thoughts about what listeners are going to kind of pick up from our discussion with Mary Ellen? I think the, the biggest thing to pick up here is the her early career when she before she got to Smokeball. Um, and I don't want to give things away here, but the the indecision yeah. that I know I can speak as someone in my my mid to late twenties that you kind of deal with or or think about and like, am I making the right decision? Is this what I want? How do I get what I want? How do I get to where I want to be? She did. A, she she was very good at explaining that and kind of explaining her thought process and how she got through it and kind of the I guess some of the not the not so great things that came with some of the decisions she made and. Um, you know, it's, it's great when someone can be that honest with themselves and say, yeah, I kind of, I kind of messed that up or I, I made a mistake here. Or, I, I shouldn't have done that. Or maybe not, I shouldn't have done that because, you know, we'll hear at the end of her conversation, like what she has to say about, you know, her answer to the, uh, the now infamous DeLorean question, but, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, it, admitting that maybe her, some of her desires yeah. were a little bit, yeah. a little bit misplaced. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, you're, 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 you're absolutely right. I mean, I think she she has some great lessons around like what you think you're going to do or what you think you need to do in a career. And then when you actually get through it and you look back, you're like, oh, thank God that happened that way, because this is why I got to where I'm at. So uh, but I think like so many other guests, I mean, Mary Ellen has a great story. She's got the great strong. I think she's got the strong insights on kind of the pathings, you know, like how you kind of navigate that path, the things that will help anyone really in any career situation, I think regardless of what stage they're in or what field they're in, because she did, she kind of came out of school and she really kind of had a, she didn't really have a great kind of sort of understanding of what she wanted to do. And she did, she kind of tried a bunch of things and she's found herself in a, in a great spot. I mean, she's a, she's an executive at, at a tech software company. You know, she's, she's still, you know, she's under 40. So she's kind of achieved that executive kind of role earlier in her career. And, and I think she, she's, she, she's got great, great advice. I think she's probably going to have a, very successful rest of her career. So, hey, you know what? For for everyone who's listening, we appreciate it. Remember, if you like the show, please give it some love, rate it, share it, follow it, tell your friends. Uh, don't forget to check out you know some of our earlier episodes as we've had so many great guests who share their career story um, and their insights about how they've navigated these tough decisions, the pivots, the obstacles that every career journey is bound to have. So, Again, check us out. Follow us. You know, we're on Instagram at Career Catalyst Podalist. We're uh, podcast. We're on Twitter at Career Catalyst Pod, uh, Podcast. You can follow myself, Todd Stars, a bunch of LinkedIn. I post about the uh, podcast when we do the releases. You can follow Zach Jewell uh, on LinkedIn. He'll, you know, he'll kind of comment about the podcast as well. But if, if you check us out, um, you know, you'll certainly kind of, you'll learn about new episodes coming out. And I hope you enjoy this conversation and all the other conversations we've had on Career Catalyst because we certainly enjoy having them.
All right, I've got a great guest today. I'm super excited. It's actually one of the first times I have a guest on the show that I don't really know anything about. Uh, I've met her through um, actually a cousin of mine who recommended her. I've got Mary Ellen Kelleher. I said that right, Mary Ellen? You sure did. Hi, Todd. Hi, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> um, so before we get into the discussion, do you want to give us a quick introduction of who you are and what you're doing? Yeah, so I'm Mary Ellen Kelleher. I am the vice president of product at Smokeball, which is a legal, um, I guess, legal SaaS company. SaaS is software as a service. So we sell software to law firms. Very cool. And we'll get, we'll certainly get into that, I think, in a second. But I, I you know, in these discussions on Career Catalyst, we, we always like to kind of start at where you started in your career. So do you want to go back to where you went to college and what your degree was in? Oh, boy. Oh, <laughs> uh, so I went to U of I in Champaign. That's University of Illinois. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, uh, graduated into probably one of the worst economies many, many years. Uh, and I had assumed with a U of I degree that it would be one of those things where I'm like, everyone will want to hire me. This is a good school. Um, as it would turn out, that was not the case. Mm -hmm. um, so it was really hard for me to find a job. I had decided to go work in Yellowstone for the summer as a bartender oh. to just put off being an adult for like 10 more minutes. <laughs> uh, it was really fun, worth it. But then adulthood hit me hard and fast and I didn't really know what to do. Uh, so I started with some temp jobs and uh, kind of in my back pocket was like, I guess I'll go to law school. Mm. Um, decided that was not for me. Okay. Um, yeah. And I ended up kind of kind of meandering quite a bit. <laughs> well, before maybe before we get into the meandering, what was your degree in at U of I? Oh, right. Uh, so I started as a math major and uh, foolishly decided that that wasn't going to work for me, but it all ended up okay. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Uh, and I switched to political science. So I guess you could say I'm a scientist if you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. I got to ask, why did you, why did you say foolishly change from math to poli sci? Well, um, you know, I was actually really good at math and I really enjoyed it. And while I think I landed in a good spot and, uh, ultimately, I actually love my career and I'm so excited to talk about it. I do think math was a really fantastic major and I uh, I think I had a lot of skills in that area. But yeah, I guess I guess maybe not so foolishly, because like I said, I landed in a good spot anyway. So, yeah. yeah. OK, so that, now you switch over to poli sci. What was just what was the motivator for poli sci? Oh, boy. Um, well, you know, like in college, suddenly you go from like high school where it's like, these are the subjects you're taking. Mm -hmm. And especially at my high school is very small. And so it was basically, there wasn't a lot of choice. You were basically in the same classes with the same people all day. And then I got to college and was like, you could take whatever. And I was like, well, I really liked my, uh, AP US history course. So 
I think maybe this poli-sci thing sounds good and it is a great elective course for me to get towards my major and, or, you know, you have to take gen eds Mm -hmm. and I ended up loving my first poli-sci class. Like it was probably one of those classes where I um, managed to stay awake without any extra effort. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a lecture sleeper. Yeah. So I, I managed to stay awake. I really engaged with the material and I was like, wow, I really love this stuff. I could do more of this. And so away I went into poli sci. I just, math, um, I think I really struggled with it. And to be candid, I think it was just the first time I'd struggled in school. Uh, So it scared me. mm. Uh, But I look back at it now and I'm like, you would struggle, then you'd study and you'd figure it out. It was okay. So that's why I say maybe it was foolish. But um, with poli-sci, I felt like I understood it a lot better. Yeah. And I enjoyed it more. Um, So it it was a really great major. And I think I learned a lot about unintended consequences of infrastructure. Uh, that's what I say in my, in my, uh, interviews at least. <laughs> so unintended consequences of infrastructure, meaning infrastructure spending or infrastructure bills or something like that, or something it more. Could be, it could be anything. So that's <laughs> how I apply it to what I do for a living. Okay. Um, wherein I'm like the way that we construct a system will influence the outcomes Mm. and you have to be cognizant of um, processes the way you talk about things like they all have an impact to what happens Mm -hmm. and so um, as much as you know I'm cracking a joke that I use in interviews I really do believe that that helped me understand that you know you might in your head want to solve a certain goal and how you go towards addressing that goal um, could have effects elsewhere that you didn't expect. Or you might not quite hit the goal the way you thought you would, because as much as it seems like if I do X, Y will happen, human behavior doesn't work that way. And instead, you're driving people towards different behaviors that, of course, make sense in hindsight. But it's just all basically at the end of the day, political science is about how all these things that we do Hmm. affect outcomes in society. So the fact that um, a smaller state tends to have a congressman sitting for a longer time means that congressman is on more powerful committees, which has impacts to policy. Things like that are really fascinating to me because it's so minute and just something who would even notice that, right? Yeah. But there's plenty of research that says it matters. Sure. No, I, I, I think that um, there's, there's, there's a lot there to unpack. Right. But you know, yeah. that example, no, the example is great, right? Like people make the, make decisions and, and a lot of times they don't really appreciate just how it, that decision has to fit into so many other moving parts and pieces. And that, the, yes. Yeah. And there's a difference between what sounds like it should work this way mm-hmm. and reality of how it does work. So you always have to, in your head, think about, 
you know, that cause and effect of those decisions. And that very much applies to decision making as a leader in a business. Yeah. You know, as much as if I change my sales commission to be structured in X way, what are the weird little behaviors people will start doing to try and hit that goal? You know, like <laughs> there's so many applications to it. Yeah. 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 No, I, 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 I like it. I, there's actually I'm, one of my favorite articles. Uh, it, it was a Harvard business article, gosh, probably in like 2010 or something. And it was all about it was it was certainly designed around data and technology, but it was it was all built around the concept of system of systems and really mm-hmm. getting into that system thinking around you can't just look at one node in the network. You have to really understand how that node behaves with other nodes. And I think the application to decision making and management is is great. So I definitely I think I want to come back to that um, once we get through some of your your uh, background here. But yeah. Um, so you graduate and you 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 go off and you have some fun in Yellowstone. Was that just you needed to get out west, or you just love the mountains or something like that? Or yeah, I think I I had always been you know pretty dedicated student, and uh, I always had a job in college, and the idea of jumping straight to my career especially when I didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Just uh, to me, it sounded like more fun to go, you know, hike around in the mountains. I actually, I found it because my friend worked in Yosemite and I was like, wait, how did you find that job? And I swear to God, he said something like cooljobs.com. And I'm like, no way. <laughs> And that is literally how I found my job in Yellowstone was going to, it was like cool jobs or cool works or something, but it was pretty funny because it just felt like fake, right? That you could go to a website and be like, I want a cool job. And I certainly did find a cool job. That is cool. That that sounds cool, right? And and how long did you do that for? A couple months? Yeah. So it's a seasonal job. So from May, I skipped my graduation. I didn't need to see 10,000 of us cross the stage. I <laughs> uh, drove straight out there after I finished my last class, and I was out there till October. Got it. That's cool. Sure, lots of memories for sure. Um, yeah. What's So let's get into the meandering now, right? So you get back from that. You talk about, oh, now I got to be an adult. Um, you you kind of certainly kicked off the kind of post-college with some fun, but What's the, you know, what was the meandering? Was it just still not really sure what you wanted to do? And then where did you, where, where was the kind of like first kind of formal, what would you say the first formal job on the resume was kind of found? Oh, man. So, <laughs> I think the meandering was quite literally for me. I look at jobs that claim to be entry level, and this is probably for your listeners all too relatable. <laughs> You look at a, a listing and it says it's entry level, but then it's like five years of experience. <laughs> I was having trouble. Like, how do I take my like experience waitressing and turn it into something valuable? I didn't know how to interview, to be honest. I'm still not the best at interviewing, but I was really, really rough coming out of college. Mm. Um, turns out you're supposed to practice that. Could have gotten the memo on that. And to all your listeners, I hope you got the memo just now. <laughs> Practice interviewing with people who have jobs. Um, so uh, I ended up, I temped for a while. And I think that was actually, I just needed money. 
And mm. honestly, that was some of my most valuable experience because it kind of gave me a taste of the real world from different types of jobs. Yeah. Uh, so I worked as uh, I just like organized records into file folders and file cabinets at a company who bought salvage vehicles. I uh, worked at a law firm as their receptionist and um, that was really good because that made me realize I did not want to go to law school. <laughs> um, which, I mean, to be real, that's actually, I'd say, a pivotal moment where um, I got really lucky that that experience saved me from going down a path I don't think I would have enjoyed. Um, is there, is there a reason, my, what, what in particular do you think, or was there one big thing that you're like, oh, I definitely don't want to waste time on a law degree? Yes. Um, when I pictured a law degree, I pictured myself as a prosecutor, a la law and order. <laughs> and that is not what practicing law is like. Um, turns out I'm not, I was not going to be Atticus Finch. I was actually, if I went to law school, more likely going to be in an office reviewing the details of a contract down to, you know, one sentence, one yeah. line. And that's just honestly... I'm a very social creature, so probably not a fit for me. Um, but yeah, so I did a couple different temp jobs, bounced around the city of Chicago. And uh, at that point, I think I realized I really wanted to get something full time and start, you know, in my head, it was like, it's time to start your life. Yeah. Um, so I got a sales job. Um I'll be honest, it goes down in history for me as my worst job ever. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think some people are cut out for sales. I'm yeah. very impressed by those people. To this day, I tell the sales team at my company, like, wow, I could not do your job. <laughs> um, it was door to door. So I drive my old 97 Lincoln Town car oh. from my grandpa. Thanks, grandpa. <laughs> around the city um, and in the suburbs and I'd knock on doors in my fancy work clothes and say, hi, my name is Mary Ellen. I'm from blank company. Um, I'm looking to talk about shipping options. May I speak to your owner? Who would that be? Huh. It was awful. <laughs> that does not. Yeah. No one was ever nice to me, which yeah. I mean, I understand that. Um, and no one, it's super weird. No one ever wants to talk about their shipping providers. Uh, so it was, it was a really hard job. It was long hours and it really just wasn't a fit for me. And I think I want to get specific about that because um, I think one of the things I learned in my career pathing was understanding what I like to do, yeah. what I'm good at. Um, just because a job isn't a fit for me doesn't mean there's anything wrong or that I'm a failure. It's just at the end of the day, it's like, it's not what I'm meant to do. For me, it was deeply uncomfortable to make other people uncomfortable. Yeah. And that's, to be honest, like that's a lot of people, they can call someone up and they can kind of push them a little bit to try and get past that gatekeeper, to try and get that meeting. 
and they can shake it off. I had trouble shaking it off. It wasn't for me. I didn't like it. Yeah. Um, so from, that was probably my first real job. Yeah. Um, I was doing okay. I was treading water. I wasn't, I don't think I stood above the crowd as someone who wasn't succeeding, but I certainly wasn't succeeding. <laughs> um, and so I remember one day I, I took a walk with one of my best friends and he was talking about his job and he said, and I was like, wow, you seem to like, like your job. He's like, I do. <laughs> and I, and I was like, wow, like, tell me more. So I ended up applying at his job only six months in okay. at my other company, which to me, I'd always been taught that was an absolute no, no. But I also realized like, for my own mental health, I need to get out of here. Yeah, you got to cut um, weight sometimes for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, sorry. so I ended up applying at his company, still terrible at interviewing, but I think um, his, his backing me up and having a pretty decent grade point average and my background in waitressing huh. gave them like this leap of faith that, Maybe I was worth the hire. Um, this is at what company? This was at, it's called cars.com. Okay. And I was taking a, I kid you not, $13,000 pay cut on an already meager pay. <laughs> um, and it was kind of, for me, it was like taking a leap of faith on myself. I was like, you will make more money than this. Yeah. Will get promoted. And you just need to move to somewhere where you have those options. Because where I was at before that, I think I there, you know, it was a very small sales based business. There wasn't Mm -hmm. there wasn't an out. Yeah. Yeah. Um as it turns out, there was an out. When I tried to quit, they did offer me uh a different job. But honestly, I also think this is valuable for your listeners, so it bears mentioning. Um, the opportunity they offered me was under a manager that I had historically bumped heads with. Interesting. So it was one yeah. of those things for me where it's like same pay, but risking, you know, out of the frying pan into the fire type situation. Yeah. Or just fresh slate, huge pay cut, and hopefully it works out. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, the, the, it, that's a pretty like open-minded way to think about it when you're still pretty young in your career, right? Like taking a, I mean, I, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm assuming across the board in, in too many ways about anybody, but you know, yeah. in your early twenties, that salary number becomes kind of like a, a very was, focused goal. And to take a cut like that to say, no, yeah. I'm going to do this to go up. That's, that's, that's an enlightened way of thinking about a career. Well, let's, let's put some numbers to it. Cause I'm, <laughs> I told you before we talked, I'm a pretty open book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was 40K down to 27. <laughs> In Chicago. <laughs> Insanely bad idea. Yeah. Um, and you know what? It was, I still look at it. I think I was paying like 500 bucks a month in rent uh, 
And I was like, I can make this work, even though I knew I'm like, oh, this is going to be snug. And $500 in rent is unheard of um, now because it was in Logan Square. I just got really lucky there. Um, But I think it was just for me. I was at a point where I knew I was like, you know what, like, you got to get out of there. And I think actually what shocked me was my dad giving me the nudge and saying, yeah, you got to go. And my dad was always someone that had taught me, you know, stick through it and work really hard. And so for my dad to tell me, yes, you need to leave that place, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, I think also gave me the extra nudge to be like, he's right. This is not a good environment for me. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, so I moved to cars.com and I was on their support desk. Uh, I actually really, you know, it's a really hard job when you are on the front lines of any company as the tech support, uh-huh. it's um, busy. It can be a thankless job. Um, you're kind of lowest on the totem pole and you don't have a whole lot of control, but you know what? It's an entry level job where you learn a lot yep. and yep. you practice customer service skills. You just learn a lot about client relationships and some technical skills Um, And I had a great team, great managers. I mean, honestly, it was night and day. It was everything that I needed at the time to relaunch my career. Uh, That's very cool. And and we've had other guests on the show, and and I've I've certainly had some of this experience myself. Like those tech support, help desk, customer service jobs, they can be extremely valuable jobs because you're, you're on the, like you said, on the front line of the product or service or solution to the company. And you really yeah. learn so much about what's happening in the real life versus what's happening in the kind of meeting room or the, you know, the, you know, the, the, the away from customer activity that everyone thinks all the decisions are made, but the real decisions are made at the customer level. So. Exactly. I think, I think honestly, that's, you know, you look at like, if you were to draw milestones, I think that was one of those lucky ones that shaped every other part of my career. Um, I think to me, I was like tech support. I don't know if I could do tech support. I'm not, I'm not technical. Mm. And my friend, his name's buddy. Hi buddy. If you're listening, (laughs) um, he was like, no, you could do it. Trust me. Like you're smart. You went to U of I, it'll be fine. And I was like, okay, I'll take anything. Get me out of here. Let's go. (laughs) Um, it was it was really, really fun. I've made, I made some friends on that team that I still talk to to this day. Um, but it wasn't a lot of money. So I pretty quickly, um, basically, well, you know, this is a podcast about your career. So I will, I will blatantly brag. Um, I ended up winning president's club. Oh, nice. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It was really, really awesome. Um, it, a lot of luck too, right? I joined the company at the right time where they were now offering a seat to their president's club, to the support team. Mm-hmm. And it started when I'd gotten my like, you know, I'd gotten up and running and I knew what I was doing. So I had a full year where I knew what I was doing to go after that. Um, so I won that and I used that to get myself a promotion and a pretty good raise 
into the account management team. So leveraging all those skills I have from helping people, mm-hmm. but upskilling to like, rather than reactive, it was proactive. I was reaching out to clients and trying to get them, it was car dealerships to try and get them to better leverage this uh, account they were paying for. Yeah. And, you know, their success on the platform meant that they would renew. So it's important because you want them to leverage all the tools in their arsenal to do well Yeah. on the platform. Um, and you know, that was pretty hunky dory for a while. It was pretty cool. I started to get to travel for work, felt very important. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'll be honest pretty quickly. I started to feel like I can do more than this. Like what, what's next? Yeah. Yeah. So just as a time check, I mean, this is, you're, you're now probably 25 or 26, somewhere in there. Probably like 24, 25, I think. Okay. So yeah, you're still pretty young, but you're, you know, you've kind of already accumulated some of these skills and you're yeah. now you're starting to think about what's next. What was next? Well, um, I thought what was next <laughs> was management because I wasn't very creative as to what was next. You know, oh, it's like, well, look to your left, look to your right, and you're like, oh, I I want to go up. What's up? Manager. Um, I'll be honest, this is another struggle, a really hard struggle point in my career. Um, I, I don't want to fast forward to just the good part, but basically I just felt like I'm good at this job. Of course I can be a manager and I'd interview. So you, the way it worked there, you became a team lead, then a manager. And I struggled to get the team lead job. And eventually I got the job, but it felt definitely felt like I was the kind of like the last kid picked in dodgeball. Um, <laughs> to be honest, I think I was. Um, and then I ended up with an amazing, amazing manager um, who was honest with me and really helped me grow And so, you know, it's like, okay, here we go back on track towards this management piece. And he kind of highlighted to me the key things, which were basically like, you felt like you were good at the job and you were ready to move to the next level, but like, you didn't quite, he didn't he didn't like say this to me directly, to be clear. It was more like he, he made me see what I was missing, Yeah, which was, I didn't reach out to those people and make relationships with them and make, get, you know, ask for projects to highlight these Mm -hmm. skills. Mm -hmm. I didn't even ask them what they were looking for because I thought I knew. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, to me, I was like, it's, people who are getting promoted, it's because they did this project and that's, you know, that got them exposure, but that's not fair because that project was easy. You know, it's just, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. these are all the thoughts of someone who didn't understand what was happening. Um, 
And um, Phil really helped open my eyes to like those projects had value for the department and allowed that person to showcase their leadership skills, their how well they work with others, mm. um, how easy that they are to instruct and give feedback to. Yeah. And then when you go to an interview and you're up against a known entity who has already proven that they are someone that that manager can work with, yeah, or you who seem friendly and smart, but that's all they know. Yeah. That's not, that's, you're walking in the door with a huge disadvantage from the start and you might be the better candidate, but that's a huge leap of faith for them to take. Well, and there's, you know, there's, there's a couple of things in that, in that part of your story that I think apply there. There are great lessons for anyone and probably apply to a lot of people's careers. But one of the things that you said, and I, and I don't want to put words in your mouth here, but a lot of people have a tendency to fall into the trap of like, oh, I'm doing my current job well. I should be a manager, right? Yes, yes. And I thought that was how it worked. Mm-hmm. That's not how it works. <laughs> um, and I thought, to be honest, though, I also felt like I get along with my peers. What What's the issue? But it's like, it's about more than getting along with your peers, Um, and I think I did ultimately prove myself and that's why I got that promotion. Um, and it, it was a bumpy road to get it, but I ultimately in the process of doing the things the way that are, uh, that I'm describing where I reached out and I worked with people, I saw the value of it and I realized like, it's not fluff. It's actually like building to that next level together. And it's asking them to invest in you yep. and to grow. Um, it was really amazing. And, you know, unfortunately, my tale of woe didn't <laughs> end there, though. So okay. I got to that next level. Okay. Um, I ended up uh, pregnant with my daughter. And it was you know, it was a bizarre thing where so young in my career and so ambitious, I felt like I had to prove myself so hard. And I worked myself really hard while pregnant, which I think that was unwise, but everything ended up okay on that front. Um, But one thing I felt like was kind of like, around me, people were basically like, "Mm, take a pause on your career. Sure. Um, So I came back from maternity leave, ready for action and uh, jumped in and I was like, oh, manager position open. I'm going for it. I'm good. Uh, uh, It'll be great. And I didn't even make it to the second round. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That is a moment, right? And this is internal too, right? I mean, it's it's not even like an external interview process. Like this is all internal, right? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. The bruise to my ego was deep. (laughs) <laughs> a confusion, but, if you will yeah but you know what it ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me and that sounds corny but it really made me take a step back because it was for me it was like why is this all so hard hmm. I didn't think it would be this hard it doesn't seem like it's this hard for other people why are interviews so difficult for me Um, and I really took inventory of all that. Yeah. And I kind of, you know, I, I, 
I think I like had some time to regroup and one of the projects I ended up put on in the meantime, this is where things all go sunny side up. I got put on a project with the product team to help them roll out a new product. Okay. And they wanted, they wanted our help in figuring out the product market fit and what that journey looked like because it was a different sort of product. A lot of the products Cars.com offered uh, were more like leads, you know, leads of people who wanted to buy cars. Yep, yep. This product was more people who want to sell their car to you. Interesting. So you're a consumer, you want to get rid of your car. Instead of going and just trading it in or selling it on Craigslist, it was giving you offers from car dealerships uh, for your vehicle. Mm. And so the car dealerships also, instead of like with a lead where it's just call them, try and get them in, it's there's more to it. They have to put an offer on it. They have to look at what the car is worth. It, you know, it's a much more heavy handed process. So they wanted someone from the client facing team to help them figure it out. What does this look like? How do we do it? And I fell in love Hmm. with the whole space. It was, I was running data for them uh, because I'm like, well, they have to look at this. They have to consider this. And it was kind of one of those match made in heaven type moments where they were like, hang on, who is this person? (laughs) And we want more help from them. And, you know, they seem like a smart kid. I got to go to dinner with them when, when we went out of town to work with the company we were working with to create this product. And we talked about strategy and, oh man, I was, I was addicted. I was like, that (laughs) is what I want to do. Yeah. That is everything that I like about work. It's being analytical. It's talking to software providers, clients, and like figuring things out, uh, running data. You know, it was just, honestly, it was like, that is way more in tune with what I want to do. And what I realized was like, all the things I like to do are minor parts of a management job, Hmm. like a people manager job in an entry level or mid-level type position was more, you know, making sure people were executing on what they were supposed to do and coaching them versus a product job was much more like tactical. And um, I ended up realizing like, I don't think I want to be a manager. Mm. And I think this is hard because it's not really what I'm meant to do. Um, So naturally, I went and told my boss and mentor that, Phil, who was the amazing manager I was talking about. Yeah, yeah. And I remember he goes, are you sure? And I was like, yes, I'm absolutely sure this is what I want to do. And he's like, I just, I just want to really make sure, like, is this what you want to do? If anything, if a job were open right now, would you apply for it? And I said, no, I would not. And then he said, okay, because just so you know, I'm actually leaving. Oh. And you are probably first in line for my job. Interesting. And 
what and um i remember even one of my friends at the company came over to me and she's like hey heard the news you're probably gonna get that job (laughs) and i was like i'm not applying for it she was like what um so i ended up working with phil to figure out what the path looked like to product and I made relationships with the team that is the conduit between product and operations and basically said, I would happily join your team and help more products connect to the operations department and work with the product team. Um, I think it was kind of a big shock to myself that I stuck with it Hmm. and I ended up moving to that job pretty quick. I got lucky where some spots opened up and I ended up actually working with that original product team that gave me the interest. Yeah. And you know what the beautiful thing is here, Todd, is this is where growth, growth actually, uh, what's the word? Like it demonstrates itself. Sure. Yeah. yeah. This time when I joined that team, I talked to all the leaders. I expressed my interest. I told them exactly what I was trying to do and asked them, what do I need to do to get on your team? Yeah. I did the projects with them. And then when I joined their department as a business analyst, I actually, we had a goofy name for it, but it was ultimately a business analyst. Yeah. Um, I told that product team as well. I want to be on your team. I want to be on product and this is why. And what do you think I should work on? And mm-hmm. I talked to my friends who were on the product team and said, how did you interview? How did you prep? What are the things I should be looking at? Um, a complete 180 from how I had handled getting promoted in the past. Yeah, no, for sure. Like you said, it, it, it's like the, I hate using the word because it's the, in the title of the podcast and it's a super buzzword, but the, it's kind of like the catalyst of the, of the learning, right? Like it you is. Put it all together and you put it in motion there, I mean, again, there's, there's a lot there and, and I don't want to, I don't want to miss the opportunity. I, I certainly don't want to, yeah. I want to keep the, the story going, but I've I got to ask a couple questions if you don't mind. Cause I mean, again, kudos to you on, on just that, like you said, that whole process of kind of the taking stock realizing the opportunity and then getting yourself in a situation where you expose yourself to how this team operated or how this project was operating and then putting yourself out there in a way that like you made it very public that this is what you wanted to do. And that those are all, I mean, those are all very, I think, bold maneuvers and how you take control of a career. But there was one thing you said that I want to ask about because you, you know, early on you made this comment now, I think two or three times, other people were doing this and getting promoted and I didn't understand why. Do you feel like part of that transition to where how you made it kind of that, that you made it a very different approach when you got onto this product team, did you start to break away from worrying about like, Oh, well that person and that person and that person and said, no, I'm going to worry about Mary, what Mary Ellen wants to do and and where to go. Oh my God. I'm so glad you asked this (laughs) because yes. And honestly, the most fascinating thing to me and the most valuable learning I got from being a team lead was I saw other people go through a similar struggle to me and they were looking at other people. And I remember um, one person that I was close with and also a team lead over, 
I remember he was like, that person, like, I'm way better than them. And I don't understand. And I remember telling him, like, it's not about other people. It's about like, at the end of it, it's you. Like, you can't control what happens with other people. You can't, you can't look at a completely different career path and be like, it's not fair. Why are they doing well when I'm better than them or whatever? And I realized like, it's like control what you can control. And also I got to interview a lot of people as a team lead. And I think interviewing people is really valuable because you start to see that uh, it's like, I got less nervous about everything once I was exposed to interviewing to decisions for promoting people you know it's like you got to see behind the curtain Mm -hmm. and it's like oh oh this all makes sense now and um honestly I will say since then since that change you know I had I had referenced before like it shouldn't be this hard it seems easier for other people Mm. I got to be honest, Todd, since that change, it has not been hard to continue to grow my career. I have not felt that turmoil and that, you know, that block that I don't understand. I have not felt that since that time. That and is, it really, it goes to show you it's that pivot. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and I don't want to overstress the point, but I think that is so important around that idea of breaking free of worrying about what others, what you believe is happening in other careers or other people's yes. right? Like, because you're right, they may or may not be doing something better than you. But in a lot of cases, people are nowhere near as in, you know, they might not be anywhere near as good a place as you think they are. So yeah. again, I think focusing on yourself and, and really finding what your path needs to be. It, it's so refreshing to hear you say it that way. Because like you said, you broke free of it. And now this is a moment in your career where you've just now created a new trajectory, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really do think at the end of the day, um, the thing is, it's not like, it's not like these plans were super, super detailed Mm -hmm. either. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just like, I want to be on the product team. And it was because I had experience with them. I'm like, I don't know where that's going to take me but that seems like the next move for me. And it seems like something that fits in with my personality, even down to the detail of, um, I'm a really candid person. I'm really open and I will provide my opinion, whether asked for it or not. (laughs) Um, that I think is less well suited for an operations department. Because at the end of the day, you really want to keep um, you want to keep people excited about the product. Mm-hmm. You don't want to criticize the product because that's contagious and it lacks nuance too. Yeah. You know, someone who understands the system really well understands. Well, this is bad, but this is really good. That's not where everyone's at. Yeah. So I also realize like my candor would be valued in product and my criticisms of, um, you know, the features and how things worked could be used. They were not as valuable on a team that had no control over that. Mm -hmm. Um, that's just an example, but I think in general, like my love of data was much better suited 
for a team. You know, I, I think I would run data sometimes and be like, hey, guys, look at this. And they'd be like, well, isn't that special? Thank you for that. Uh, versus in product, it's like, yes, that's what's expected of you and your job. It's a good thing you're good at that. And you'd, um, never, and you'd never know that before you actually got into that job or no, exposure yeah. to it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I just think in general, what I found was, and this is, this is a really hard thing to describe because it's just a feeling, but I have found this to be true throughout my career that when I have been in the right place where I've really flourished, it felt right. I felt comfortable. I felt valuable. I felt um, like me and the people I worked with really jive with each other. Mm-hmm. When I have struggled, I did not feel that way. Yeah. Maybe it's correlation causation. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I don't think so. I think there is an element of like, you want to be in a career path that suits your personality well and makes you comfortable to be yourself around the people you're with. Yeah. Well, you can't that, yourself forever. Yeah. Well, and the factors, I mean, the factors that there are, are, I think a lot of times people get caught up on this, like the surface factor, like mm-hmm. what, you know, like, cause you hear all the time, find your passion. And, and I think that is, it can be a very big mis, misdirection for someone in their career because They'll say, oh, well, I'm passionate about healthcare. I'm passionate about, you know, sports and I need to be in sports. When in reality, passion is, do you like to be around people? Do you like to share your opinion? Yeah. You know, like- so true. <laughs> I wasn't passionate about people selling their cars to car dealerships. I didn't even own a car at that point. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I yeah. certainly had been through the experience of selling my car and thought this could be better. But I was more so passionate about, you know, kicking around technical ideas and mm-hmm. experimenting with new features and talking about data and cause and effect and, you know, hanging out with developers and drinking LaCroix. I was passionate about that for sure. Like <laughs> uh, nice little LaCroix pub, uh, spot there. Um, so. Yeah. I don't want to, you know, like I, there, this has gotten you a new track and I, I certainly want to get to some other questions, but I, I'm, I do want to kind of get through some of the other aspects of how you got to where you're at now, because now you've gotten yourself yeah. into the product management track and you've yeah. gotten, you know, this, this is certainly, and again, I don't want to over fast forward here either, but can you get us through kind of like how then you got from that place and how you captured this realization of what you really enjoy doing and how did you get to now you're a VP at a yep. different company, but you're, you're within the product management world. And then I want to get into that a little bit, but like, can you get us yep. through that last part of your, your timeline here? Well, the beautiful thing is I can do it pretty quickly. It's not fast forwarding. It goes back to kind of what I said before, remember where I was like, then it felt easier and it honestly has been. So it's not a fast forward because things just went more smoothly. There's not as much to talk about. Got it. Um, I worked hard. I leaned in. I, I, you know, anything my bosses, I felt cared about. I paid more attention to anything they cared less about. That's where I let the slack up because I think, uh, as you work your way up in your career, there's a lot of times there's going to be more than you can handle. So you have to prioritize Mm -hmm. 
Um, eventually I decided, okay, I'm ready to do product at another company. I feel competent enough. And I think I won't grow unless I go elsewhere because, you know, there's an aspect of like, I was leaning on my tech support and account management knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to develop my product knowledge. Uh, so I went to another company actually in the same building, um, (laughs) And I learned a lot there and I had total imposter syndrome for a while. And I thought like, man, I I have no idea what's going on. Um, But I kept going back to one of my coworkers before I made that leap of faith. I remember he said to me, I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I'd know what I was doing at another company. And he's like, Mary Ellen none of us know what we're doing. (laughs) And I found that to be pretty true in a lot of ways. So I I followed that mantra and I did pretty well there. And, but it, it, it was a moment where I felt like at that company, I was like, "Eh, this isn't quite a fit for me. The people are all really nice. um, But it was small dollar lending and it just, it wasn't a fit for my personality but I did what I could with it. I made some friends there that I still talk to. And I um, I ended up, my boss tapped on me. She was leaving. She invited me to come with her. Mm. Uh, and this is where I was tactical. And it was just perfectly timed because I knew my next move, I wanted to go. I'd been at two pretty big companies. Yeah. I wanted to go to a small company And basically be the person there as, you know, that company grew up around me because Mm -hmm. I knew there was a lot of opportunity to be one of the first in the space, you know, work hard, make yourself available. The exposure there is built in. I'm coming over uh, as with my old boss who was going to be an executive at that company. So I was like, I'll have executive uh, exposure. It'll be great. And that was Smokeball, yeah. uh, which is where I am now. And at Smokeball, um, kind of, you know, all my dreams came true, not to sound <laughs> corny, but this is exactly what happened was what I was hoping would happen, which was basically the team will grow. So it was me and another product manager. Um, and eventually it was me and a product analyst reporting to me. And now I have, I've been there for three years. I have 12 people on my team. Wow. And yeah, and I'm hiring more. (laughs) Um, And we're growing rapidly and they just made me VP. And it really, honestly, like I said, it, it got easy. And I don't, I don't mean like easy, like, you know, just total breeze. Yeah. That friction and confusion and feeling like something wasn't quite jiving, I have not felt that in That's, some time. Yeah. Well, congrats on on the promotion, and thank you. I think the you know, and also congrats on the fact that you've now sort of come around around on this idea. Like you're a manager of people, which is a pursuit that you had, you know, ten years ago, but you kind of found a new track, and now you've built your team. So you you've still accomplished that goal. You just got to it in a very different way than maybe you thought you were going to get to when you're 24, right? Yes. And you know what? I think it still holds true. I don't think I would want to be a manager of entry level people. 
Yep. You know, where some of the conversations are like, hey, you have to like shower before work. <laughs> um, you got to show up on time. This is before COVID, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but now what I'm doing is something I much more enjoy doing, which is actually very in line with this podcast. What I'm trying to do is just help my team build their careers. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. And that's, it's a different, it's a different sort of management than I would have in an operational role. Of course I need to work with my team to make sure they deliver and that, um, we're doing all the things we should be doing as a department. But I mean, let's be real. The people on my team have already built their careers up quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So some of the day-to-day things that you might have to worry about dealing with at an entry-level team, you don't deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at, in a, in a more senior product management team. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, and they're lucky, right? They're lucky to have a leader that has that attitude of like, I'm, I'm committed to helping them develop. Right. And I think that's a, that's a, regardless of the field, right. It could be in operations. I mean, I think great managers and great leaders are, they certainly have that mentality of like, I'm going to take my chess pieces and I'm going to help them develop into the best parts and pieces of this, not just company, but also how they become strong players in their own, in their own track. So I think that's a that's a that's a great great sign, and it, it, certainly I appreciate your passion towards really helping other people recognize it. Do you mind if I ask on the you know just the fact that you're in this product management field, which again I, like isn't necessarily an obvious field, right? Like some people, yeah, sure they they might understand it coming out of college or something like that, but you know I didn't really understand it until I was in a technology company, and I think even from company to company it can be very different. And even in today's world, like I work mainly in like the brand um, kind of branded apparel retail space. And we're starting, you know, over the last probably three years, we've started to use tech, you know, kind of terminology around product manager to define like, oh, you own the, the you know, the conversion aspect of a website or you own the checkout aspect of, so you're the product owner. But for someone who doesn't really, hasn't really been out in the, in the kind of professional world, do you want to talk a little bit more about what it means to be in product management? Yes. Yes. Um, happy to, because I think if anything, this conversation has showed, I feel tremendously lucky to have tripped into this line of work and I absolutely love it. And I'd encourage other people if they're considering it to look into it more. Um, it's a stressful job, but ultimately day to day, the software you use, even what you're using to listen to the podcast on. Um, it's like this weird thing where you, th I think a lot of people passively think like, ah, all of these things are just like components people plug onto a screen. Uh, but really every single part of what you're looking at has to have a person who decides how it works down to every click. Yeah. Uh, and the product people, their job is to understand the customer uh, what they need, what will most make a difference to their, you know, their day to day. And then on the other side, let's be real, the business's growth. 
and um, to try and take that idea and decide which one to go after first and to turn it into that vision. And it all seems so simple when you're a step back from it. And even I've caught myself being like, that should be pretty easy. Nothing is ever easy, but that's the fun of it. It's every day. It's a puzzle. You know, one of the things we work on is a billing platform. So law firms can bill their clients. Mm -hmm. And anytime we try to introduce something new, you have to factor it into all the existing software, maybe some parts of it that are old and barely anybody uses, but you can't take it away. And it's highly inconvenient. We're like, if this didn't exist, this picture would all be very pretty. Um, And it's your job to get creative and work with everybody around you to come up with a solution that works. And it's your job to decide uh, what's enough, what's good enough, what is not good enough. And we have to go back to the drawing board. And I find that to be tremendously rewarding. And the best part is tons of companies have product management. They need it. Uh, so there's tons of options out there and I think we're only going to see more and more because, you know, in 2021, everyone's a tech company. It's just whether they know it or not. (laughs) I agree with that wholeheartedly. (laughs) Um, and that, I think that also makes it tricky because of, um, you know, the fact that a lot of companies that don't think they're tech companies have leaders that don't really understand some of the process that you're des- describing. So, I mean, just kind of being open-minded about what type mm-hmm. of company you go into. One of the things that you said there is, you know, you made the decision to go from large company, to small company, so you can really kind of have more kind of, uh, you know, be part of that kind of development of the whole business. I mean, is there any other insight from moving from the large company to the small company? And do you think you, you, it was just the right time in your career or, had you had the opportunity to do it earlier, you would have done it because of those those factors of being part of the kind of building and growth of a business. Uh, I think, I don't think I planned this um, as succinctly as it all ended up working out, but um, I think I jumped ship at the exact moment that I was ready any earlier I don't think I would have been ready. I think I needed all the projects that I had worked on before that to prep me for that transition to a small company. Because one of the big differences at a big company, your scope tends to be much smaller in the sense of mm-hmm. I worked on one feature and I had an entire team, designer, data analyst, Um, actually multiple designers at some point. I do not, I did not have that when I came over to Smokeball. And I'd say we do mostly now, but I had to build that in the vision that I needed it, right? I needed to be the one to be like, okay, now we need this because we've grown to this point. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I would have been able to do that without seeing it done elsewhere, And also what I'd say is I think in product management, um, a lot of the information out there is always coming from a perspective of a company maybe that has a lot more resource and has perfected the art a little bit more. So they call them the FANG companies. Um, 
Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, they, they are the thought leaders in the space, right? Uh, working at a small company, some of that information is like laughable because you're like, oh, yes, allow me to pull the data and analyze it to make this one small change. Um, I would have to do that myself. Yeah. I'd have to design it. Yeah. So there's a lot more gut instinct decisions that you have to make <laughs> at a small company and you have to take more risks. Yeah. Um, and you do not want to be doing that necessarily without experience. I think yeah. the experience very much helped me be ready to make decisions like that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great, I mean, that's also a great way to grow a career though. Like once you get that experience and then apply it, being able to both be a, be a, you know, appreciate that you're going to have to do some of the maybe hands-on work, but then also understanding how to evaluate risk quickly because you don't have the luxury of time. Like at some of those larger companies that just naturally move slower. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, well, they have to move slower, right? Cause yeah. one change can mean, I mean, honestly, I've worked on changes where it's like a minute change was a million dollars in a week. <laughs> um, so that's going to, you know, require more, um, thought than yeah. a change where it's like, this is a newer feature. I mean, I, I work on features now that literally one of them has two people using it hmm. and that require that gives you a little more space to make some mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> Although they probably have your cell phone, right? Like, Hey, this is broken. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. And I will say for the record, the one that has only two people, it's because it's in beta. We will get it out to many more users, but it just goes to show you though, like, you know, the lens is completely different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hey, I'm sensitive to your time and and I really appreciate all of the insights that you've shared. I do have a couple more questions. Do, Do you mind if I get to a couple other things real quick? Of course. Of course. Yeah. So, you know, One of the questions that I I ask all the guests around mentors and the importance of mentors, and you talked about Phil and how Phil played a role in some of your early kind of career decision-making and and helping you kind of realize on your own. Can you talk a little bit either about Phil or even about mentors around how you, you know, not so much the relationship you have, Phil, but like how maybe you find a good mentor and how do you cultivate that mentor relationship and what, what does that do for both the mentor and the mentee? Mm. Yeah, I think uh, mentors are really important. I'll be honest, I don't think it's been a strength in my career. Well, I say that, but I think my mentor relationships have all just been more informal. Mm. Um, Really, at the end of the day, I think you need people you can bounce ideas off of. And Phil is one that I use because he was there in such a pivotal like difficult time in my career. Um, and he made me feel safe mm-hmm. in talking to him about these challenges. And he made me feel welcome after getting a job that I a little bit felt like, uh, like I said, the last kid picked a dodgeball. Um, I think at the end of the day, you need to have someone you feel comfortable around and they don't have to be in your exact line of work. Because career development is more about, you know, thinking about what you're good at, thinking about what you like, and figuring out steps for pursuing that. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So, I mean, like Phil was not an expert in product management, but he certainly helped me get there. Um, In product management, and especially as I've uh, grown in my career, I've worked with a lot of people who have helped me. And I think ultimately it just came down to a safe space um, and watching how other people make mistakes and grow. And at this point, I've actually proactively sought out a more formal mentor relationship. So in this case, I did it through 1871. Okay. The Chicago's kind of tech hub. Yeah. Um, But I think you can have all sorts of formal and informal mentors, and they're incredibly important. You need someone who will tell you, like, you need to do this thing. You need to not do this thing. Um, You need a safe space for conversations like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, uh, first of all, 1871 is awesome. That's one thing I miss. I I used to live in Chicago and that's certainly one of the things I miss about professional life in Chicago. That place was so much fun for the events, the mentoring, everything. If you're ever in Chicago, check it out. It's it's a cool space too. Um, (laughs) Um, all right. So another question I like to ask a lot of people here is, you know, really this definite defin, definition of success. And you you kind of mentioned this early on in the in the conversation around, you know, your kind of logic for wanting to be a manager, you know. Um, but what what do you think is different about how you would define success today versus how you would have defined success, you know, kind of early on after you meandered for a little while and got into some of these first jobs? That's a really, really good and important question. Um, look, I I hesitate to say this because there's a little bit of privilege that comes with it. But I think part of success for me is having found a position that I truly enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. I enjoy coming to work each day. I enjoy working with the people I do. I find myself thinking about my work, sitting around, casually in a positive way where I'm enjoying kicking around a problem. Um, but also in a way that is financially rewarding for me. So success to me is that combo of like making enough money to live the lifestyle that suits you. I can send my kids to school, put shoes on them. Um, and I also enjoy it. And I don't know, I'm hesitant to say that's success universally, but that was success for me. And I do, I think at this point, feel successful. Mm. Um, But a huge component of that is actually just that I enjoy my day to day and feel comfortable with my coworkers. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And then um, it's a similar question, but I think it's, it's a little bit broader than just trying to define success, but you know, and you, you, I know you're a lot younger than me, so like I am sensitive with the, the reference here. But if you could jump into DeLorean, if you're a Back to Future fan, and you could go back in time and you can kind of have a conversation with 22, 23-year-old Mary Ellen, what do you think would be like one or two of the key points that you'd want to have, like kind of get across to that that younger version of yourself? I am familiar with the DeLorean. <laughs> I actually saw one. In downtown Chicago last week, raising money for Parkinson's. Oh, wow. Um, I would say, you know what? I, I, 
I probably wouldn't say anything because I'm afraid of the butterfly effect. There you go. All right. You're the second I, best in a row to, to say that. I like that. I would want to land where I am now. Yeah. That being said, I think, um, I think I would tell myself to chill out a little bit and uh, just do what I described, which is like, just like open yourself up to other people, let them know what you want to do and work towards it and it'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, maybe I shouldn't tell my 20 year old self to chill out because then I might not end up here. So, yeah, who knows? yeah, no, it's good. It, it, you're like I said, you're the second guest in a row that has said, listen, I don't know if I'd want to say anything to myself, right? Like, (laughs) (laughs) I'd want to make mistakes. (laughs) There's an element of like learning lessons the hard way. I mean, man, the scars are deeper, but also means you really learn that lesson. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, and that's, that's kind of a key lesson in itself, right? Like you're not going to, you're not going to learn unless you kind of take the deep bruise, right? So, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's something I said to uh, my friend the other day, I was like, look, it's not fun to feel ashamed, but shame can be a powerful motivator. Yep. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, Hey, Marianne, is there anything um, that we didn't cover based on like a message that you, you like to bring to your team or you like to bring the young people um, or that you thought maybe we would have covered when we were preparing for this discussion? You know, one thing I think that um, has helped me a lot along the way is realizing, like, I was in this race to get to, you know, to get to where. Mm. It was just like, go, go, go. And where your career is now, two years from now, there you're never stuck where you are. And that was something... Um, I, I had a family member once. I was like, I'm thinking about getting my MBA. What should I do? Is it valuable? And I remember he told me, he's like, I went back to get my PhD when I was 45. It, you can go whenever you want. It's okay. Yeah. And I was, I was like, whoa, I could go get my MBA whenever I want? <laughs> and it sounds silly, right? But at yeah. the end of the day, I think, um, career changes at any point are fine and great. And just because you're in one spot doesn't mean you're there forever. Mm-hmm. And if it's not working for you, just make a change. Yeah. And worst case scenario, it didn't work and you go back to what you were doing before. Yeah. It's, it's okay. It's not, this isn't a destination. It's a journey, which sounds corny, but unfortunately it's also true. Yeah. Well, it's not unfortunate, right? I think that's the... You want, if you embrace the journey, those types of decisions are a little bit easier to, I think, navigate. But if you get stuck on destination, like I just need to be this or I need to go here, like you can get yourself up and, and miss the opportunity to say, you know what, like you, like you've said, like if it's not a good situation, so much of your success is built around be enjoying what you do. If you don't enjoy what you do, then why sit there and, and think that you're pursuing something? Right. Go find something. For sure. So for sure. And, and, and if you're too set on the destination, you won't pivot when you need to pivot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Marianne, this has been fantastic. You've got a great story, by the way, and I really appreciate you being on career catalyst. Um, Thank you so much for your time. 
of course. Thanks for bringing me on. I love talking about this stuff. And if people wanted to reach out to you, um, are you pretty open to people kind of reaching out to you on LinkedIn or, or other places? Definitely. Definitely. Uh, I'm not always really quick to respond. So you might get a response like a month later, <laughs> but it will come eventually. Yeah. And they can find you on, on LinkedIn, Mary Ellen Kelleher, and your name will be in the show notes. So, Yes. Got it. Are you active on any other Twitter or anything like that, that you professionally at least? No, not really. Um, I Instagram pictures of my vegetables. But <laughs> <laughs> that's about it. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Well, Mary Ellen, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. So again, I think that was uh, a, another great conversation. Um, you know, I think what was interesting and, you know, for, for many of the listeners that would know, I mean, Mary Ellen's probably one of the first people that I, I had no idea. Like we had never met each other before. A lot of my guests are people that I've, I've met in my network and have either worked with or, or worked around, or at least kind of been around enough to kind of understand where they've been. She's someone that I, 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 you know, just was referred to by, by someone else. And I, I think she was just a fantastic guest because of it. Cause I'm learning as we go. And I think Zach, you called that out when we were kind of preparing for, for the episode. Like it was kind of a very different discussion because of the fact that I just didn't have as much background of that relationship that I would have with someone else that I've had on the show. Yeah. I think it, it allowed her to tell her full story in the way that she wanted to tell it. And you and I, as, as I went through the, the episode to edit and as you were recording with her and hopefully all of you, as you're listening to it, you know, you'll get the same reactions that Todd and I had at the same time and like learning about her at the same time that we did. Um, and I think it, it allows for just a more open and I don't know if honest is the right word, but a more authentic conversation about, who she is and how she got where she is, because that's ultimately what we're trying to provide is how did, how did you get where you are and allowing our listenership to realize different methods and different paths that they can take to get to some end point in their career that they want. Yeah. 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 No, it's good. Um, and that was fun. I think it was a fun way to do it. And I, I'm actually looking forward to getting more guests on that I don't know, because of, I think it was, a, it was a very different experience having a discussion. So, you know, Zach, I, I think it's, it's only prudent. I always love kind of asking you, because I think we have this nice, like you're a younger guy, have some different perspectives on things. You know, I, I listened to, you know, I listened to the, the conversation again. And, and, and again, there's a lot of great insights in here. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I, I thought was interesting, I think maybe because it, it relates to me or something I could relate to is, you know, her and I are from the same exact neighborhood in Chicago. Now she's, she's probably seven or eight years younger than me, if not a little bit more. So like we weren't in high school at the same time or anything like that, but we came from the same place, right? Same South side neighborhood in Chicago. And it was a great neighborhood. It's what I would call a gray collar neighborhood. So like there was a lot of like cops and firemen and teachers and, you know, maybe a couple of white collar people, but, you know, more, you know, there's a lot of like, also like, you know, trades people. So like, it was a good working class type of neighborhood, but I think what was interesting about it, we weren't surrounded by a lot of, you know, professionals. Like we talk about a VP at a tech company. There wasn't a lot of people around us that you would have, you know, had as a, as a parent or a friend, you know, friend's parent or something. So I think it adds to that when you, you, you go to school because everyone tells you, you go to school and then you get a degree 
And then you get out and you're like, I don't know what to do. And, and I think there's something about that kind of like your, your kind of personal world as a, you know, teenager, high schooler and how you get into college and you kind of make these assumptions, but you don't really know what's going to happen. And I thought that was what really, what I enjoyed about it was because I, I, I can totally relate to that. Like you don't really, you come out of school and a lot of people around you were, and when you were a kid were, like I said, like firemen, policemen, hardworking people, teachers, but then you have these business degrees or something, or you have an economics degree or her case, political science degree. And you're like, well, what am I going to do with it? Cause you know, most people I know were something else. So I, I thought that was, I mean, I, I, again, I think it was a great, it's a great kind of, uh, you know, sort of testament for the why we're trying to do this podcast, why we do this podcast. But also, I think it, it you know, it really kind of creates some some richness to like those first, you know, three or four years of her career. She was really trying to kind of sort things out and figure out what she really wanted to do. Any other thoughts or you know, kind of takeaways from the discussion? No, I think I mean it's it's interesting to hear someone to hear the the, the conversation with someone who is. You know, like we said, not in your network that you don't know anything about going into the conversation and has a different perspective because you don't already know, you know, you know, you knew going in where she is, but you didn't know yeah. where she was and allowing her to just expound on that and, you know, be open. And, and she was very, she was, she was very willing to, to tell her story and admit her mistakes and missteps and I think that you know as I've said before in some of our early episodes um, if you, the more willing that that you are when you're younger to admit that maybe something you did was was the wrong step or the wrong or the or mistake or you, you your desires are misplaced I think that opens you up to being more honest with yourself and that is a huge yeah. step for personal growth and that will allow you to be be your best self and only your best self can accomplish what you really you really want to be in your career yeah yeah that's good that's good and i think that's true you know all the way through right there's going to be those moments and pivots and change you know kind of changes that if you accept hey there's going to be a couple of mistakes it probably helps you through some of those, those difficult times so well, hey, Zach, I appreciate it. I, I always appreciate your, your insights. So uh, thank you so much to the, to the, you know, all the listeners. We hope you enjoy the show. Again, like we say, we, we enjoy having these discussions. Uh, and again, if you, if you do like it, please share it with all your friends. Give us some ratings on, you know, whatever platform you're listening to us on, Apple Podcasts, um, you know, Spotify, yeah, share it with your friends. And then also, you know, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and we're both posting about it on LinkedIn, Todd Starsevich and Zach Jewell. So thanks a lot, Zach. Have a great evening. Okay? All right. Thanks, Todd.